Good morning, Grace St. Arbor. My name is Mark Van Andel. I'm a Detroiter and part of the teaching team here at Grace, so I'm honored to worship with you this morning and to open the Word of God. Uh, we're in this series about the gospel according to Mark, and I'm excited about the message I get to present to you today. Is there anyone here who's in school of some sort, like uh, elementary all the way up, grad school? Okay, good. I'm, I'm in good company. I am in my final year of a degree program, so I'll graduate in May. And uh, I've taken two different degree programs and taken eight years to do that. So I'm weary of writing and thinking and processing and all the stuff that comes with it. But uh, at least I know you guys can kind of commiserate with me in that. So uh, when I was first starting to learn how to write papers, my teachers taught me about a thesis statement, right? You guys know what this is? It's like this statement that says, this is what the paper's gonna be about, or this is what the, the paragraph is gonna be about, and everything kind of revolves around that. Well, this morning, as we look at the scripture in Mark chapter one, we're looking at kind of Jesus' first words in the whole gospel, and it's his thesis statement. It's kind of the thesis statement for his life and ministry here on earth. So it's really important. I'm excited that I get to open the scriptures with you. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 14 and 15. And this is what those verses say. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' thesis. This is what Jesus is saying, I'm all about this. The rest of the three years of ministry that I have here on life is going to be about this, these three phrases. So we're going to unpack this a little bit. First of all, just to fit in the larger context, after John was put in prison, it was referring to John the Baptist. That happens earlier in this chapter. It talks about John the Baptist, and we'll pick that story up again in John chapter 6, or sorry, in Mark chapter 6 down the road a little bit. So we'll pick that back up. And then just so you know, kind of contextually, if you're a visual learner like me, it says Jesus went to Galilee. So this is Palestine. You can see up north, you can see the Sea of Galilee up that region around there. There's a variety of different people there, and Jesus chose to focus his ministry there as opposed to in Jerusalem, where kind of the, the Mecca, that's funny, the Mecca, Jerusalem's the Mecca, sorry, you'll get it later. So uh, <laughs> Jerusalem is kind of the center of Judaism at this time. So uh, Jesus chose to go to the Galilee and preach there, and his message was, the time has come. This is his first phrase, and I just want to unpack this a little bit. When he's saying the time has come, it's not kind of like, oh, this is some convenient thing, like, oh, I just woke up this morning, the time has come. No, he is saying the kairos, the, the, that's the Greek word, kind of this specific time in the history of the universe. In all of creation, this time has appointed as a specific place to be present. So Jesus is saying all of history before this has led up to me. And everything that comes after this is going to be changed because of what happens in this time right here, this present time right now. So he's making a declaration that's a powerful statement. You see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth all the way back at time. And it, that moment was pointing towards this moment. When God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, and when he called the prophets and the, those uh, people that would speak on his behalf throughout the history of the scriptures, he was always saying this is pointing towards Jesus, towards this moment when he is going to start doing this public ministry. 
And as you saw earlier this month, as we started in this Gospel of Mark, we had John the Baptist who came proclaiming the way, preparing the way for Jesus. And then Jesus had his identity shaped through this moment in baptism where God said, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. And then that, that identity was challenged as he was thrown out into the desert or pushed out by the Holy Spirit to be able to undergo temptation by the evil one who tried to get him to question his identity and his purpose. And through those events, Jesus is saying, okay, now the time has come. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. This is the moment where everything kind of comes to fruition, comes to be together. All of creation focuses around the person of Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you know the person of Jesus Christ? I'm amazed at the misconceptions that people have about who Jesus is and what he did and what he was about. People put all kinds of things into Jesus' mouth, which he didn't really say or didn't really mean. So do you know Jesus? You may have been following Jesus for most of your life, but uh, a mentor of mine said this. It was really challenging to me. He said, if you really are trying to be a disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus, you need to read the Gospels through at least once a month. Wow. That's what discipleship takes. It's focusing ourselves so much on Jesus, the person around whom time is organized, focusing our identity on him and on our focus on him. That's what Jesus is saying. I am the center point of history. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis has this statement. He, he says, either Jesus is a liar, he would just spread lies all the time because of what he said in the Bible, or he's a lunatic, he's just crazy. Like to proclaim the things that he did, he's lunatic. Or we really have to consider him Lord. And it means what, he says, what it says he means. He really is the Lord of the universe. The time does fit itself into him. And as I look at Jesus' life, I think about what, what are we in tune with in terms of our time? What is, do you believe that God has called you for this specific moment, for this specific time, or are you just thinking your life is accidental? You don't have any purpose. I believe that each of you has been called and placed by God in specific places to be able to be who he called you to be at this time and space. Now for me, that's been a challenge for me the last year because I've really been feeling, fighting with God. I've been feeling this tension like, okay, Lord, what are you calling me to do? You see, about a year ago, I left my job at, at a church. It was kind of a comfortable church job and I was like, okay, this is easy for me to do this. But I felt like God was calling me out to start neighborhood church expressions around Detroit. So my contention is I really believe that neighborhoods need focus in Detroit and neighborhoods need churches that represent the people who live there. So I'm trying to, encourage those things and kind of start and catalyze church movements around in neighborhoods around Detroit. So that's what I feel called to. And it's not an easy thing. It would be much easier to kind of put it on autopilot. But God's pushing me at this time. So is there something that God's doing in your life at this time to kind of push you or preparing you for something that he has for you in the future? I just want us to be mindful of the time that God has us. And for Jesus, this time, when he said the time has come, he knew in his mind that this meant that The clock was ticking for his death. This announcement was the beginning of the end for him. It was saying, the time has come for me to fulfill this thing that God's called me to do, and the end is going to be death. Now, in our religious freedom nation, we have freedom of religion, thank God. But at the same time, sometimes we get lulled into complacency with that, and we think that discipleship really doesn't mean death. Following Jesus is following one who gave up his life. We have to be prepared for that. That's a high calling. 
but one we have to wrestle with. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the second phrase there, the kingdom of God has come near. All right? Now this is, to us, this may sound familiar and it's a central message of Jesus throughout the book of Mark, but it's really a key to understanding who Jesus is when we start thinking about this kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is a kingdom. In our world, we have a democracy, right? We live in a republic, and so we get to vote, we get to say, this is what we like, and, we, and oh, you have, you've violated my rights, and we have all these things, right? In a kingdom, do you have those things? Not necessarily. What the king says goes. So it is with the kingdom of God. Now, the beautiful thing is, God is trustworthy and we can depend on him, so it's not like being under a dictator that's gonna be evil, but it's a radical mind shift for those of us who are used to being in this kind of like, oh, I kind of like to make my own decisions and be my own king and I'd be able to have a voice. We have a voice in the kingdom of God, but it's not like we get to be king of our own kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't have to be king of your own kingdom anymore. I have come to be the king, to be the king in this kingdom and to bring the kingdom in. So one understanding about this from a Jewish perspective is it was an eternal kingdom, so they saw this as starting in eternity past and continuing on, and then it was a present kingdom. It's not just like, oh, well, it's a kingdom that's going to be realized in the future. No, it's here and now. The benefits of it are here and now. And then it points to a future reign that is going to be superior and more comprehensive than we can imagine, where God truly will be king of all the universe and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we're going for. That's what we're heading towards. So that's the kingdom of God, just in a nutshell. And he's, Jesus says, it has come near. Now, when we think about coming near, when the Israelites received the law and God went, took Moses up on Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai was like fire, like it was like a smoke and there was all kinds of lightning and thunder. And what happens is they, the people were like, don't let us get near to the mountain because we'll die. God meant we can't get too close to him because we will die. Now Jesus says, no, now the kingdom of God has come near. He's saying, this is a shift. Now I'm coming near to you. I am present as God in the flesh and I am near to you. It's an amazing thought. It was amazing for them and it's amazing for me here today still. It's, it's so beautiful that God became flesh and blood and came into our neighborhood. You see, it's hard to love from a distance, isn't it? It's hard to really love people from a distance. And even now as I'm standing up here, I'm like, okay, well, it's, it, you guys have this distance, you look at me up here, but what happens, how does the dynamic change when I step down like this? Suddenly we're looking into each other's eyes, suddenly I'm coming near and present, all of a sudden some of you who are sleeping are now like, oh my goodness, he's up in my business now. <laughs> it's a different context when, when the presence is near, you're able to love and be able to interact with people much more than you are from a distance. And this is why Jesus came to be present with us to be present with the people who naturally sit in the back rows because they want to stay hidden there, right? Jesus came to seek us out to be present with us. And I'm so thankful for Grace Church because you guys are taking people like Ted and Eunice and you're saying we're sending them out to show that God has come near to Burundi. We've taken John Shaw, we're sending out the Shaws to the Congo to say God has come near to the Congo. You've, and you've partnered with me in my ministry in Detroit to say God is coming near to Detroit. The kingdom of God is coming, drawing near to Detroit. This is what you guys are about. I'm just trying to reinforce this in you. But this is the challenge. We need to be present in a way that we all allow the kingdom of God to be present with us in the places that we are at.
So for you, where has God placed you? Where has God positioned you in your families or in your communities, in your apartment or in your workplace, in your schools? How is God positioning you to be the announcer of the kingdom of God in the communities that you live? This, is, this was revolutionary and it's still revolutionary to me. I wanna, I, it's sometimes safer for me, to, for me to think about God as distant and far off. It's safer somehow because somehow it's like, oh, well, I get to hide when I want to hide. I get to kind of have my own way. That's not what God is about. God is about coming near. So the kingdom of God draws near to us. The kingdom of God is present with us. And Jesus says, I'm here. The time has come. The kingdom of God is drawing near. So for you, how do you respond to that? How are you thinking about how God has drawn near to you and then how you can draw near to other people to represent this kingdom of God that we say that we are experiencing here and now? For me, uh, a great picture of this comes from Mark chapter 4 where Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, okay? Very tiny little seed. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Oftentimes, I'm tempted to be able to say, I've got to do something big and great and everybody's got to be able to see this. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which, though it is small, grows into a giant bush. That's the way the kingdom works. It's in small ways, in everyday ways. It's not in, usually in like cataclysmic events. No, it's usually in small everyday occurrences where the kingdom gets enfolded into our neighborhoods. You may experience that in your community groups. And if you're not in a community group, I'd encourage you to be in one because this is where you connect and you get to see the slow work of God in our lives as a community to be able to interact with each other and experience God's kingdom coming in small, consistent ways over time. For me, I get to see this in Detroit in a couple ways. One is I'm involved with a, a school called Charlotte Mason Community School. And we started, it's a Christian school. We started with 12 students and now we're up to 54 students, which when you think about numbers, 54 students in Detroit when there's tens of thousands of kids who need education, 54 students is a drop in the bucket. But for me, I see God's grace reaching out and showing kids that they're valued, that they have value, that they have dignity and that they can learn just like any kid in the entire country can, even though the educational system in Detroit is so broken. So I see that mustard seed of 54 students learning about their identity in Christ as something that God is growing into something bigger. I also have gotten the opportunity to be able to do ministry with Hesed Community Church in uh, Brightmoor Community of Detroit. It's a neighborhood on the far west side of Detroit. And what I've seen in that is just little steps where God's kingdom starts to come and grow and flourish like a mustard seed. Uh, the best example I can give you is Nate Bull and I, my partner, we go out in the neighborhood ministering in just on the streets. So there's a, here we are, white guy, black guy, rolling down the street with a cooler, an igloo cooler filled with pop and water, just talking to people through the summer and giving them water or pop if they want it and just kind of interacting with people, starting conversations. Well, one day we got to interact with a woman named Mama T. She's a senior who lives in the community, and she's been there for 20 years living in this neighborhood, which has been decimated by uh, drugs and crime and violence, and uh, there's like all kinds of vacant land. It's just spread out. It's so crazy to be in Brightmore. But when we were walking the streets, we met her and her granddaughter, Charvet, and we started a conversation with them. Turns out that she is a believer in Jesus, but she's been going through some rough stuff. So right there on the street corner, we sat just like a mustard seed. There's just four of us there. 
and we prayed and prayed for each other. We prayed for her and she prayed for us. Is this beautiful demonstration of the kingdom coming here and now. Sometimes we confine the kingdom of God to what happens in this building on Sunday mornings. I don't know about your experience, but I've seen God do miraculous things outside of this space. I love this space. I'm glad we can gather, but God does great work outside if we have eyes to see and we're open to that. So we prayed for her. It started a relationship. Now we meet weekly on Thursdays for lunch. If you want to buy us lunch someday, just let me know. We'll be able to take your money or or you can cook too. That's fine as long as you can get it hot from Ann Arbor to Detroit. But we serve lunch to a community of people there and we read the scripture together and we pray together with this community, including Mama T. And as we got to know her better, we realized that about a year ago, her son committed suicide. And in her heartbroken state, she's been kind of paralyzed with the grief of that for the last year. And for her, our presence there was an announcement to her that God had not forgotten her, that she is not left alone because the kingdom of God came near to her. And in the midst of that, we've experienced with her as we've walked for the last couple months, her water's gotten cut off and she had a case of bed bugs ravage her home and lost everything that was of value in the home pretty much because of this devastation. And a couple weeks ago, we're sitting there at lunch and we're talking with her and she's expressing all this grief and getting all this out and we were praying for her and ministering to her and all of a sudden she breaks out into song. Started worshiping God right there in the living room, no music, just started going after it, just praising God right there in the space. And it was as if she was singing what we just sang, like, it is well with my soul in the midst of this. For me, that's the mustard seed. It's Mama T, a, a senior woman who's lived in Brightmoor all her life. Her influence is not great, but God is showing her and doing something through her that shows that the kingdom of God is growing in that space, that the kingdom of God has come near to Brightmoor, Michigan. These things recognize the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now that last piece, repent and believe the good news, this isn't, we, we don't think repentance and good news go together. For us who are, we are our own kings, we're, we have our own kingdoms, repentance is not necessary for a king. Kings just go and do their own thing and they don't have to repent, right? We just kind of keep going. So we in our own kingdoms have a hard time with repentance. Now, unfortunately, the church has done us a disservice as well in this. I think sometimes the church says, okay, if you repent of your sins, then you will get forgiveness of sins and then you get your get out of hell free card. As if that's like the kingdom of God is limited to just kind of escaping something in the future that is unknown to you, some devastation. Like, is that all that the kingdom of God is about? No, it's so much more than some contractual exchange with God. It's experiencing God's love and God's joy and God's peace. Jesus brought in healing and restoration, righteousness and justice all coming together. That's the kingdom of God. So when we say repent, it doesn't mean, okay, let me just do this one-time thing. Please forgive me for my sins and then I'm good for the rest of my life. No, repentance is a 180 degree turn in the opposite direction. It's coming under new man. It's almost like a, a military coup in your life. It's a takeover. All of a sudden, you were under the kingdom of Mark, or insert your name here, you were under that kingdom, and now it's like, no, now you're under the kingdom of God. It's a radical transformation of our lives. So Jesus is not just saying, okay, just pray this prayer and everything's gonna be all right. No, he's saying, this is a radical deal. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, change your mind. Change your thinking. Be different. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't be consumeristic when you come towards me. Just trust me as a loving parent who loves you and wants to care for you. Now, parenting is a difficult deal. That means discipline, right? You experience, when you're a child, you experience discipline. That's not necessarily always fun, but it is usually for your good. That's the relationship we have with God. There's a young man in our community. He, his father is not in his life. He's five years old. And a few weeks ago, we went off to a camp, and we were experiencing this camp experience together with our family and a number of other families from our neighborhood church. And as we were uh, kind of settling in there, this little boy, I saw him throwing rocks, and he started throwing them up in the air. And one of my sons saw him and was like, don't do that, stop, you're gonna hurt somebody. We continued on about five minutes later, all of a sudden I saw out of the corner of my eye, he threw a rock up in the air again. And suddenly, I felt it hit the top of my head. This was not a pebble, it was a rock and it hit me on the head and it quickly sprouted up and swelled up on top of my head and it hurt badly. It didn't hurt badly enough that I was like, wounded, wounded, but I, I was more angry than I was hurt. So I ran over into the grass, I threw myself down in the grass and I just started yelling. Now everybody around thought I was seriously hurt, but it was more out of anger because of what this boy had done. He'd just been told not to do it. And all I kept doing was, uh, God gave me the grace to pray in that moment and say, Jesus, help me, help me. Lord, have mercy. I just kept crying, Lord, have mercy to myself more than to him, but I was like, I wanted to go do violence to him. <laughs> Finally, the Lord came to me and was like, okay, be a loving parent as I've been to you. And in that moment, I realized how many times God has commanded me not to do something. And moments later, I've directly disobeyed that, just like this little boy had. I saw myself suddenly and the way that God had been gracious and merciful towards me in that boy. And God gave me the grace in that moment and the mercy to go approach this boy and to sit with him. And I said to him, that really hurt me when that rock hit my head. And his response I've been hit in the head with a rock too before. That was what he responded. I wanted to be like, apologize. <laughs> but he didn't. Immediately, we kept talking and I tried to start to understand what he was going through and the situation that he's in and the pain that he's experienced. And God gave me insight into that. Now, it's not because I'm some great person. I'm just trying to live my life in submission to the king who has given me such mercy and grace in my life. But now I'm pursuing him and I'm taking him out for breakfast once a month so that he can experience the love of a parent who will discipline him gently but lovingly and strongly in a way that he will be able to know the love of God the Father. For that little boy, the kingdom of God is coming more near in his life because Jesus has made a difference in my life. Repent. Believe. Believe that the God is with us and for us. Believe that God has come so that we could be with him, so that we could encounter him and experience his fullness. That's the good news. So we repent. We repent from our own selfish ways and we turn towards God's loving ways and say, yes, I receive what you have for me, the good gifts. And how do we know that we're loved like this? How do we know that God is for us? Because of the life of Jesus. You remember earlier I said when you repent, it's kind of like uh, a non-military coup like an overthrow of the government of you? The reality is that uh, it really was a violent coup. 
It really was a violent takeover. But the punishment that we deserved, God put on Jesus at the cross. Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for our rebellion so that we could come under new kingdom thinking, so that we could be part of the kingdom of God because of what he did and how he sacrificed his life for us. That's the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Now, Jesus with his disciples, at the end of his time on earth, he had this meal. Actually, let's, let's fast forward to the end picture. Jesus, says that, or Jesus gives this word to the church about what the end time is going to be like. What's it going to be like when, when God's kingdom is made full? And this is the word from Revelation chapter 11. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces, maybe in the grass, and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. This is the fulfillment of what we're anticipating in the future. When Jesus will come back, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and we will all be under the lordship of God fully and completely in such a beautiful, oh, I can't wait for that day. And yet, here and now, we still get to celebrate this. You see, Jesus sat with his disciples and they had this meal, this last supper, this communion meal, and it was a long, drawn-out meal. In our church community, we, uh, we have a meal every time we get together, and uh, one of the brothers always says to me, he's like, this is communion. We're not taking bread and juice, but we're eating this long, drawn-out potluck meal. But the beauty of it is that we're communing together and we're recognizing that God loves us and God is for us and that God's kingdom has come near and that we get to experience that as a church together. So Jesus said these words as they came together for that meal. As they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So today we get to share this small meal together as a community of faith to say we're remembering Jesus' sacrifice and we're remembering that the kingdom of God is near, present now, and it's coming again in its fullness when Jesus comes back. This is what we get to do to remember and believe together. So we eat and drink today in knowledge that God fulfills his purpose in time. The time has come. We eat and drink today in the knowledge that the kingdom of God has come near to us. And we eat and drink today in repentance and belief that we are under the kingdom of God as his dearly loved children. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your thesis statement. Thank you for the way that you came and announced and showed and displayed the kingdom here on earth. We do anticipate that day when we will experience that in fullness, but until that day, Lord, please give us the mercy and grace that you filled us up with so that we can share it with others around us to be able to be part of your kingdom here on earth and experience the fullness of it now and in the future. 
Thank you now for this meal that reminds us of that. In Jesus' name, amen.